today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. At the end, wickedness will be judged. And our desire to live righteously and holy before God, we'll, we'll see the fulfillment of that, that it was a good thing, it was a right thing for us to live our lives like that. And to know that at the end, there will be judgment between righteousness and unrighteousness, between those who determine in their lives, I will follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and those that live their entire lives in rejection and died in that rejection. For the believer, that really is good news. For the unbeliever, however, that's heavy news. Messages that speak of the judgment and wrath of God are often considered controversial by many, to say the least. However, it's important that we consider the implications regarding God's character. If you were to never judge evil and sin. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that it's because God is loving that he must one day judge mankind. In our study, we learn that while God's wrath is indeed terrifying, for him to disregard sin and evil would be even more so. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, What Manner of Persons, from the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. sang the song this morning, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. And then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. What a great song, amen? And we, we sing it on a regular basis here, but you know that line that says, and joy, what joy shall fill my heart? I guess my question would be for all of us this morning, is that real and true in your heart and life? Is there an anticipation in your life and will there be joy in your life at the coming of the Lord? Or will there be great sorrow in your life? Will there be joy because you know him and you've given your heart and life to him or will there be sorrow because you've rejected him? Is there an anticipation of joy in your life because you're living your life right now as his child for his glory, or is there an anxiousness in your life because even though you might be his child, you're not really living your life fully for him? What joy shall fill my heart? Last week, as we've been through our verse-by-verse study of 2 Peter, We looked and we saw again that uh, Peter was speaking about those false teachers, those false prophets that were part of the fellowships there who were walking in willful ignorance. And that willful ignorance, again, speaking about what they knew to be true, and yet they continued to deny it. And last week we looked at several verses, but look with me this morning, if you would, in chapter 3, in in verse 5, where he speaks of these. He says, for this they willingly forget. What was it that they were willingly forgetting? That again, that the Lord was coming again. 
He says uh, they willingly forget, and they also willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. When Peter writes here about the fact that it was the word of God that created the world, and it's also by the word of God that the world perishes when it was flooded with water, He's writing about Jesus. And the thing that we know, that we understand all throughout Scripture, is that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And in, in, in the Gospel according to John, we read these words. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it also says that he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him and without him, Nothing was made that was made. Did you catch that? Speaking of the word, everything was made by the word. There's nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. And then a little bit later in that same chapter in John, down in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We understand that John is writing about Jesus Christ, the very word of God. Now we get to today's passage and we see that it is still that very word of God that holds the world together and it preserves it even for this present day. And it's preserved for a special reason. Look with me in our passage for this morning, beginning in verse seven. He says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He goes on in verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come. It'll come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It's interesting when you join together verse seven and verse 10, you understand again that this same word, Jesus, the word of all of creation, he's also the one that's now gonna bring judgment to the world, destroying the heavens and the earth. Here he joins, again, Peter as he writes. He, he's in agreement with the prophets of old. He's in agreement with the other apostles. He's in agreement with the teachings of Jesus that he declares that, yeah, there is going to be a great day of judgment that's yet to come, that day in which all the dead, both small and great, will stand before the living God, just as we read in the book of Revelation. The earth and the heavens that we see, all of this is going to be destroyed, all of the ungodly are going to stand before that great and glorious king and they're going to stand before him as their judge. And you know what? The word of God says they will be without excuse. Now, if you're visiting here this morning, you might be saying, man, I really wasn't expecting a hellfire and brimstone message. (laughs) But when you go verse by verse, the word of God speaks about those things. And so I, I, I I I would be short in my responsibilities if I didn't speak and proclaim the reality and the truth that yes, there is a day of judgment. 
And the reality of that judgment is all those that are outside of Christ will stand before him, not as their savior, but as their judge. The judgment of God is real and it's true. And yes, we don't hear very many messages about that, whether it be from Christian TV programs and many times even on the radio, except maybe Grace 91.1, you might hear it a few times. But it, was the, it is the message, it's the truth. There's a message of old as the Puritans spoke about the reality of the holiness and the righteousness of Almighty God. And also in the midst of that holiness and righteousness of God, there is a judgment for those that would reject him. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great Puritan preachers of the 18th century, spoke about this coming great day of judgment. Some of you may be familiar with Jonathan Edwards' great message, Sinners in the Hands, in the hands of an Angry God. It says that while he was preaching that message to his congregation, they grasped hold of the pew in front of them so tightly and so strongly because they literally were afraid that they would fall into the very pit of hell while he was preaching that message. And you can't really give, uh, again, credit to the charisma of Jonathan Edwards because you know how he preached He preached with his head down in his notes and in his book and in his Bible as he read from his notes what he was preaching that day. The Lord gave him the message, and that message was powerful. Another writing of Edwards, he writes this again about when the whole world will stand before God. Edwards writes, God is, in fact, the supreme judge of the world. He has power sufficient to vindicate his own right. As he has a right which cannot be disputed, so he has power which cannot be controlled. He is possessed of omnipotence wherewith to maintain his dominion over the world. And he does maintain his dominion in the world as well as the natural world. Men may refuse subjugation to God as a lawgiver. They may shake off the yoke of his laws by rebellion, yet they cannot withdraw themselves from his judgment. Although they will not have God as their lawgiver, yet they shall have him for their judge. The strongest of creatures can do nothing to control God or to avoid him while acting in his judicial capacity. He is able to bring them to his judgment seat and is also able to execute the sentence which he shall pronounce. That's powerful. Did you catch that one portion there that it speaks that man may be able to shake off the yoke of his law by rebellion, yet they cannot withdraw themselves from his judgment. And although they will not have God as their lawgiver, yet they shall have him for their judge. And that's heavy news. For the believer, it's good news, okay? It really is good news because we know that, hey, you know what? At the end, wickedness will be judged. And our desire to live righteously and holy before God, we'll we'll see the fulfillment of that, that it was a good thing, it was a right thing for us to live our lives like that. And to know that at the end, there will be judgment between righteousness and unrighteousness, between those who determine in their lives, I will follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and those that live their entire lives in rejection and died in that rejection. For the believer, that really is good news. 
For the unbeliever, however, that's heavy news. That, that, that's, that's powerful news. As a matter of fact, most non-believers don't believe that news because if they really believed that news, I believe that they would change their heart and life. They are willingly ignorant of that news, just as we shared last week. Well, as we read in, in this passage way back in verse 4, they scoff at the promise of his coming and the reality of his judgment. And they ask back in verse 4, oh, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue on as they were from the beginning of creation. And now here in verses 8 and 9, Peter gives this very clear answer to their question. And it's found in the, in the reality of God's patience, the reality of God's long-suffering, the reality of God's grace and his mercy. In verse 8, Peter writes, Beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering toward us? I mean, I don't care when you came to Christ. The fact is, is the Lord was patient with you up until that time. You could have died in your sin, and eternity would have been sealed for you. But the word says that the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The fact is, Peter tells us that when he comes, He's going to come suddenly. He's going to come without any kind of an announcement. He's going to come as a thief in the night. What does it say there in verse 10? He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Jesus declared that himself, again, throughout the gospel records. He stated in reference to his coming that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have been ready. If you'd have known the thief was coming, you would have been sitting there with your uh, revolver or your shotgun, whatever it might be, and you would have been ready for it. But Jesus says, just as the one who's not ready, so my coming is going to be. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, he says, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Jesus tells the church in Sardis in the book of Revelation we're looking at on uh, Wednesday evenings. He says to the church of Sardis, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know the hour I will come upon you. A little bit later in Revelation, Jesus speaks to the whole church, all of us together. And he says again that he's going to come unannounced and sudden. In Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. You know what? We don't know the time. And we can't know the time. Despite all the time setters that we've seen through the generations of men that says, oh no, this day, this day, this time. No, we can't know the time. Why? Because it's all in God's time. And if you've been around for very long as a believer, you've come to understand that God is on a totally different timetable than we are. Amen? I've heard it said that God is never late. He's 
seldom early, but he's always on time. Well, I got to admit, I, there's been some times that I've doubted that, okay? Because if God was going to be on time, he would have been here right now, okay? But he's not here yet, and I've got to wait. I've got to go through things. And, but on God's timetable, he's not pressed in the way that we are. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. And really, this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us as, as believers. I mean, as far as God is concerned, Tomorrow is as completely done as yesterday is because he's outside of time. For us, we have to wait for tomorrow. But again, in the mind and in the, in the presence of God, tomorrow is already completed. Peter tells us here that the heavens and the earth are being preserved for and they are reserved for destruction. There's going to come that time. Peter says in verse 10, the heavens are going to pass away. He says that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. He says both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, but it hasn't happened yet. Amen? Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be here, right? Okay. We know it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Not in real time, yet in God's mind and in God's plan, it's already done. And the only reason that he hasn't brought it into completion yet is because of his great love, his long-suffering, and his patience, not wishing that any would perish. That's the greatness of our God. He is a God of judgment. And I've heard people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, that's the God of judgment. The God of the New Testament, that's the God of love. But don't you understand that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever? He does not change. The God of judgment of the Old Testament was also a great God of mercy, grace, and long-suffering. Hey, Israel's still around, aren't they? He had many opportunities to wipe them out. We look at King David. Did King David make some major sin mistakes in his life? Absolutely. And yet it was the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the long-suffering of God that even through David's sin, God brought him back to himself. So that Old Testament God of judgment was also a God of mercy and long-suffering. In the New Testament, that God of love so many people speak about, all throughout the New Testament, we see, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming as a judge, and in that last day, judgment's going to be on all the world. So we see the same God working Old Testament as well as new. He does not change. He stands outside of time and space, All of that's part of his eternality and time is of absolutely no consequence for him. Yet in the greatness of his love, he gives time for people to come to him, time for people to turn in repentance. We look and say, well, I'm glad he waited at least till 1969, 1970 when I came to Christ. I'm glad he waited until such and such a time. I'm glad he waited. Are we waiting? Are we anxiously awaiting his return? But yet are we concerned about loved ones who have yet to come to him? We praise God for his long suffering and for his patience. Time is a funny thing, isn't it? For all of us, it's kind of a funny thing. If you're really low on funds, if you're financially, man, wow, everything's gone right now. The next payday is a long time away for you, okay? For the rest, it's, oh, it's only seven days, it's only 15 days, it's only a month away. But if you're hurting financially, that payday seems like it's gonna be a long, long time away. If your delivery date for your pregnancy is like September 15th, 
and it's only June 15th, this is going to be the longest summer of your life. Especially if you live in Casa Grande. If you went to the doctor this last week for some critical blood tests and the doctor told you, come back Monday, I'll have the results. This weekend already seems like an eternity for you. If you're sitting here in this service this morning and you can't remember if you shut the water off to the yard or not, (laughs) or you can't remember if you turned the oven off or not, you're thinking to yourself, why is this guy rambling on and on and on? Time is relative to all of us, especially this, this side of eternity it is. And yet this one thing we can be assured of. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. We, we read in Numbers 23 that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? Peter wanted to be certain that the church then, and for you and I now, he wanted to make certain that we remembered again that these things that God declares, that God promises, he will complete it. And he didn't want us to get sidetracked by the words of those scoffers and by the ungodly. And he says, man, all of these scoffers come, they say, oh, it's not gonna happen. Peter says, yes, it is going to happen. Yes, it is going to be fulfilled. God will complete what his word declares. It's in the assurance that Peter had and the same assurance that he delivers to the church that he wants us to maintain that assurance. And he writes those words in verse 11 where he says, therefore, since, Therefore, since, because of all of that, because it is going to take place, because we know that the end of things will come about, we know that at the end of things, judgment is going to come, because we know that at the end of things, we will all stand before the Lord. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And again, because of this, How should we live? That's a powerful question. That's a powerful question that, that again, I've dealt with in my Christian life over and over and again, over again fresh even this week as I've read this and studied it. And it's a question I want to lay on you this morning. And yes, it's a heavy question. And I want you to deal with it. I want you to honestly deal with it before the Lord. How should you be living if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then I want to ask, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Ask yourself this question. Can my conduct in life be considered as holy? Can my conduct in life be considered as holy? And secondly, is there any godliness that comes through in my everyday life? Is there any godliness that comes through in my life? And again, I'm going to defer back to a statement that I made a couple of weeks ago. Perhaps the best person to ask on that is a family member, maybe a co-worker. Maybe ask the guy at the restaurant that messed up your meal. We're so delighted you were able to join us for today's edition of The Open Word. 
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 2 Peter. If today's message has sparked your interest and you want to hear more, we invite you to visit theopenword.com to find teachings throughout Scripture from Pastor David. Another great way to hear each new teaching as it's made available is to subscribe to the Open Word podcast on iTunes. You'll never miss a teaching and you'll have it available to you no matter where you go. You'll find a link at theopenword.com. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. And here to bring you a personal invitation to join us is Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thank you, Pastor David. If you're in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, be sure to drop in soon to experience a service with our group of imperfect but redeemed believers. Once again, you'll find service times and directions along with more information about us when you visit theopenword.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more insights into the book of 2 Peter right here on The Open Word. Make us more.